If you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. So, Corey, in the last episode, which we recorded like 30 seconds, 30 <laughs> seconds ago, because we've been sitting here this afternoon, and we're talking, we started talking about funerals, and now we're making a pivot from funerals to families and food and sex, not necessarily in that order. Right, right. That's not a ranking. Not a ranking or a, a logical sequence. But nevertheless, when we, when we start talking about what funerals, how we treat our dead, I think has larger implications for how we understand the rest of life and the rest of the universe, the rest of the universe. And it has implications for our Christian doctrine. And I think mm -hmm. it works the other direction too, because depending on what our sort of doctrine or our theology is, that works on those other things, it works backwards to the funerals. Mm -hmm. So you want to pick up and maybe run with that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I think it comes down to fundamentally what is your understanding of the human body and its, and its relationship to the human person as such. The Christian understanding and, and certainly the Catholic understanding, I think, the Catholic Church expresses and then lives this out in, in the fullest manner, is that the human person is body and soul, form and, and substance in, in philosophical terms, that the, there isn't a human—God God creates the human being as a, as a composite creature, that the body is important and isn't something that's sort of superfluous or infinitely malleable, that we can just do whatever we want with it as a part of the whole. Yeah, yeah, the body is essential. One of the things I know that I've liked to say over the years, and I know you've probably heard me say a hundred times, is, right, so if we go back to Genesis, mm -hmm. you know, what we don't read in Genesis 2 is it doesn't say God created Adam, which in Hebrew is Adam, the man. God didn't create the man and give him a body. Right. So in other words, God didn't create a soul and then sort of enclose the soul in a body. What it says is that he scooped from the dust of the earth and formed the man and breathed life into him. Mm. And so it's not only are we not souls that have been given bodies, one would almost say that we're bodies that have been, that have had the breath of life, you know, mm. the image of God breathed into us. Right, because there are plenty of other creatures that have bodies, I mean, right. from... from turtles to orangutans, like every, right. everything has a body, but we have a, a soul that is of a different order. Like yeah, in your but our body is, is, is necessary. Mm -hmm. In right, other words, right. it, it came, in, and I say it comes first because actually in Catholic doctrine, right? So the soul and the body are created simultaneously at the moment mm -hmm. of conception. So mm -hmm. what we don't believe is, right, this notion that souls are pre-existent. That's, that's heresy. Right, right. That there's a bunch of souls floating up in heaven and then it's like, oh, you know, Bob and Sally are making a baby. Let's send you down to Bob and Sally and you get stuck into the, the clump of cells at conception. That's not how it works. When life is created at the moment of conception, a soul and a body are created simultaneously, which is why we preserve 
life from conception, right? Right. Yeah, and and the way that the church speaks philosophically is that the the soul is the form of the body, so you don't have a living body without the soul there. So it, in in the church's language, it's a sort of a, a a contradiction in terms to say that you have a living body without a soul. If it's living, it has a soul. The soul is there, and the kind of soul that a human being has is a rational soul made in the image and likeness of God. And so from the very beginning of human bodily life, there is human soulish life, or however you want to put that. And at that the, they're coterminous with each Yes. Other. And at the other end of life, or <laughs> if we take children born with, say, extreme disabilities, <laughs> they still are soulish. They're still people. Right, right. They're still human beings because they're possessing of a soul. As long as there is a, a body breathing, there is a, soul, a human soul and it deserves our protection. So the notion that we should euthanize children who are deformed or whatever. Or people who are sick or old or and that's it. depressed. You know, yeah, or, the far end, euthanasia, right? The notion that, hey, this person is old and useless and they, whatever, right? That they're no longer or conscious. So they are still a human being in the likeness, an image of God with a, with a soul. And they're does thus deserving of protection. Okay, so that's... Christian doctrine is particularly Catholic doctrine, shrining Catholic doctrine. Mm -hmm. Now, that value of the human body then drives, as we were saying in the last episode, drives how we treat the body at the moment of death when the body and the soul, in a sense, separate temporarily because mm -hmm. they will be reunited at the resurrection. Right. And so that's where the St. Paul comes up with the metaphor of this, they, they've fallen asleep. Not really, as you explained in the last episode, but it's a metaphor for the fact that their their body, in a sense, is dormant until the resurrection when they'll be reunited, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. And so the early Christians, from the very beginning, had always, and throughout the history of Christianity, always had a high reverence for the body. There are some bodies that can't be recovered. They sank in a shipwreck, and we don't have a body. But by and large, if it was possible, the body was preserved and given great honor as a, an expression of the vow of the hope of the resurrection and the coming of Christ. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, pivoting from that to this issue of these other things that like we talk about food and families and sex and all that. Right. Talk a little bit about how God views the material world in general and the creation in general and how all these things tie together. Yeah. So there's a C.S. Lewis quote that we often come back to that he said that God likes matter, he invented it. Which, if you think about it, you're like, well, yeah, if you believe in a God that created the universe, obviously he created all of the physical matter that exists. And we don't believe that God created things that he had no use for or thought were crap or whatever. And so the, the physical universe is a good thing. In the Genesis narrative, it says he, and each day he saw that it was good. And it, it's, that doesn't mean that's the highest good or the only good, but that is a good thing. And so, as physical beings with bodies, we interact with the creation, with the rest of the physical creation in various ways. We eat, we reproduce, we die, all, all of these different things. And the, our body is, is how our, our soul interacts with, other, with, with God, with other human beings, with the rest of the world. It's that physical interface. And so, it, it matters and, and it has significance and meaning and what we do with it has meaning. It's, it's not interchangeable. It's not one thing that I do is just as good as another with my body. There's this old Christian idea. It comes into Christian art, and it's certainly not biblical doctrine, mm -hmm. right? Nor is it, I think, even really magisterial doctrine, but it's just sort of old Christian tradition. And you'll see it creeping into art. Dante alludes it to a couple point, points in the Divine Comedy, 
that that angels, one of the things that the angels, in a sense, were jealous of, or they gloried in, or that was different about mankind and mm-hmm. the angels, is that mankind, men were given physical bodies, and so they could interact with the creation in ways that angels can't. Now, they can do things that we can't, right? right? right. <laughs> and it's pretty crazy, incredible things, but we can do things they can't. Mm-hmm. And there's these old Christian poems and traditions, an angel can't smell a rose, Right. An angel can't hold a baby. An angel can't taste chocolate cake. An angel can't feel rain fall on its face, right? And that this was a gift to man, that, that God created the, the universe. He, cre- he makes the creation and he makes man in his image in it to partake of it. And that that was the reason in some of these old Christian artistic traditions and literary traditions that Satan and a third of the angels became jealous of man's position, the favor given to, and again, that's not biblical doctrine or necessarily magisterial doctrine, but it's an old Christian idea. And I think there, to, to it, there's some value because we have this tremendous gift of being a part of the creation, enjoying the creation, knowing God through the creation, being able to sort of fully enjoy and express and experience God through the material creation. Right, right. Absolutely. And I mean, Part of part of why that sort of way of articulating it with sort of the on the hand of the good angels, sort of the the wonder that they have at man's status as a both a physical and a spiritual being, and then on the other side, Satan and the demons' anger or jealousy at that is is based in the fact that um, yes, there is a sense in which the spiritual is is higher or or more noble than the physical, and the angels have that that nature exclusively and don't have a physical nature but there is a great good and a great glory to the physical as well and the and the particular glory of man is that he gets to participate in both to to quote lewis again he talks about man as being an amphibian like if you have a frog that lives on both land and water man lives in both the spiritual and the physical realm he can share in both of these and that is peculiar to him as far as we know among all creatures and God chose to share in that kind of existence in the incarnation. And so it, it is a great wonder and a great good. Well, in, in the Psalms, it tells us that man was created for a little while lesser than the angels for a while. Right, right. And then Jesus tells us that someday we shall judge angels. So in a sense, this, this, the fact that we are, have our bodies until the resurrection of the full glory and the full completion of Christ's plan, we actually in a sense, become more fully able to know, enjoy, and experience the Creator in ways that angels never will. Because right. as you say, we ha- we possess both the spiritual and the physical nature. Right. The, to, be, to be able to experience both the Creator and His creation, because the angels can experience the Creator in a way that we are not yet able to because of our imperfection, because of our sin. But when we are, are resurrected and brought to glory and perfected, we will share that with the angels and we will have a perfected physical capacity. We will be raised bodily. Well, and we will be united with Christ in his resurrection. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, we will be like him right, exactly. in a way that the angels never will. Okay. Now, all of this is, you know, woo, up here, <laughs> right, right? But let's bring this down to the families and food and sex. Right, right. Because of everything that we've just been saying, particularly Catholicism values the material aspects of our faith, the tangible material things. And the most mm-hmm. obvious one is the sacraments. Right, right. Right. So the sacraments are all material in nature, right? In, in Catholicism, mm-hmm. right? So they are not just spiritual expressions and they're not just symbols and they're not just conceptual. So all seven of the sacraments involve a physical dimension, right? right. Baptism involves a physical dimension, right? The water. Un- 
water the anointing of oil right the right the the the, the marriages between a man and a woman right right even reconciliation right where the penitent comes and has a physical expression i just don't go stand at the beach and like confess my sins to god i go right, to in the, your in your mind in right. my mind i go to the priest and i make the act of contrition right so and i do a penance right not to earn my salvation, but right as a mm -hmm. part of that reconciliation act. So there's always these dimensions. And then when we look at the liturgy, the liturgy is not simply a conceptual thing, right? We're not just singing songs to sing songs and listen to a sermon, but the gestures, the movement, the obvious thing, the most obvious thing to non-Catholics, most non-Catholics or evangelicals who come to a Catholic church is that they have to kneel. Mm -hmm. And I always, it strikes me is, is they'll say this seems... I've heard, I don't know how many, uh, you know, evangelicals kind of object to the kneeling in a Catholic church because it seems like, why do we have to do this? It feels like uh, we're earning salvation or it feels like we're doing these empty, hollow gestures to God. It doesn't mean anything to them. Right. Of yeah. course, when you go to the evangelical praise and worship church, you're supposed to raise your hands during the song, right? Mm -hmm. So, but these kinds of gestures, these kinds of movements, the 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 priest with the smells and the bells, right? The incense and then the ringing of the bells. All of these things, even the construction of the church and the altar and everything, is is a tangible, tactile, experiential, and not just a symbol. We are actually mm -hmm. experiencing grace within this material world through these things, right? right? Because if we weren't worshiping in a material way and if god had not consented to encounter us in that way through the sacraments we would be operating sort of on only half of our nature only the spiritual half and not also the physical half and we we would be incomplete and unwhole right and i think that's what's going on it started us this conversation in the last episode about the funerals right where it seems to me that those aspects of committing the body to the earth there's aspects of having a body at the funeral there's aspects of going through those material tangible expressions of the of the hope of the resurrection and the committal of the the remains what it's doing and, and now and moving it to a sort of a celebration of life ceremony and bob is in a better place and next year we'll go to cancun and scatter them from their paraglider I mean, all of that, in a sense, is saying that the value of faith is all what mental and emotional and spiritual, but it's not tangible. And I think that it's stripping the power, I mean, it's half the power out of Christianity, half the intentionality out of Christianity. It's really this sort of created dimension out of it. And in a sense, it's reducing Christianity to a spiritual mental or conceptual or emotional dimension and relationship rather than being the full robust expression of our human our, our relationship with god and our full humanity mm -hmm. yeah and, and you've seen this i mean the present moment is is unique in some ways like we haven't been here exactly in the the cultural or spiritual history of of mankind before but off, so often these things are just being recycled in some new fashion, and you've had various heresies or, or systems of belief in the history of the church. My mind goes back especially to like the Manichaeanism that someone like St. Augustine was caught up in before he converted to the, the Catholic faith, that denies the goodness of the body and says that the, the true good is simply in the spiritual. 
And what you do by that is that you then degrade the body, sort of, it becomes sort of an anything goes on the bodily side, and you're supposed to be cultivating just the spirit. And I think we have a situation that's somewhat similar to that today, in that the, the contemporary sort of spirit of the age is that the things that are internal or mental or well, what, what have you, my, my own identity and my self-conception and my desires are the good thing. The body is just kind of an instrument for that, so I can do what I want with it. it. It's not necessarily morally significant what I do with it. And then when it's expended and I die, I can cast it off and it's not really important anymore. If we have an idea of the afterlife, it's, well, spiritually, somehow he's paragliding forever in heaven right. rather, than, rather than some concept of how the body would enter into that. Right. I mean, and you, you're exactly right. I mean, these things, as, as G.K. Chesterton often pointed out, it's, it's never new heresies. It's the same old ones recycled, and there's sort of nothing new under the sun. Before the Manichaeans, as you identify with St. Augustine in the, in the fifth century, right? You mm -hmm. know, go back a century or two before that, and it was fighting against the Gnostic heresies, right, right. which, and the notion is that the, the, the body and the material world doesn't really matter. We're, we're, in a sense, trying to escape this to the real world. And then you could fast forward from that a, a thousand years and you get the Cathars in France, sure. which right, were sort of a, a St. Dominic sort of organized the Dominican order to, to uh, and the rosary to combat, right? Which was the notion of the body isn't important and what really matters is sort of escaping past it to the, to the world. And so these ideas have been out there for a long time, but what they do is in a sense rob us of the full expression no i don't want to take that i want to take that back no it's the full expression the full experiencing of god and the full experiencing of 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 being creatures and creatures of god and images of god within the created world that the creator has given us right well and it ends up in many cases degrading or even simply trivializing the physical things. And so we have a great degrading of, of things like sex or family or funerals. And, and so much of the customs around those things now have become kind of trivial and, and frivolous. And that's what you saw with, with Gnosticism or Manichaeism as well as that people sort of wrote off the body and its desires for food or sex or whatnot. But then by doing so and saying that what you do with your body doesn't matter, you end up enslaved in a sense to the degraded desires of your body yeah yeah see this is what's always interesting like so it always puzzled me a little bit about the gnostics and and the manichaeans mm -hmm. and 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 the cathars and all that when i was studying church history because i thought okay here are these people and they don't you know care about the body and they don't care about the material so they world. must be like buddhists yeah or, they, right, Buddhist they, monks or yeah something. they just sit in some hut somewhere and you know practice extreme asceticism and what you find out is no a lot of them partied hard. Eat, drink, and be merry. Eat, yes. drink, and be merry, because in a sense, none of this really matters, right? And there's two ways you can approach that. If none of this really matters, like you say, you can take sort of a stoic or Buddhist sort of approach to it, which is that this is all pointless and everything else, so I want to prepare myself for the afterlife. The other way is to go, none of this matters, so it doesn't matter what I do, so I might as well be sexually promiscuous. I might as well uh, eat and drink and be merry and all these things because none of this is of consequence. Right. And and that seems to be the dominant thread, not that there aren't people who are interested right. in, in Buddhism or other kinds of ascetic spiritualities today, but I think the dominant thread is is more of a of a hedonism because of the the degrading or the 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 undervaluing yeah. of the body is combined then with the sort of 
therapeutic culture that says what I want to do, what makes me feel good is, is good. And then it also combines with a sort of default materialism where it's like, well, if I'm probably not really preparing myself for some kind of enlightenment or well, nirvana. As, as so. long as I feel close to God. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know how many people I, that I've known in my life, right, who will tell you sitting in an airport bar, because you know, I've had a lot of conversations with airport bars because <laughs> I've spent a lot of my life in, in airports and waiting for planes. So you sit in the airport bar and you strike up a conversation with somebody who's, you know, been enjoying the airport bar. <laughs> Their plane has been delayed for a while. <laughs> Their inhibitions right. might be slightly lower. That's yes. right. And so they've clearly are, are well into the in, enjoyment cycle of that thing. And you get to talking and you have these conversations because, you know, airports and airplanes are interesting because you don't know these people. They're sort of anonymous strangers. Mm -hmm. So Actually, there's almost more transparency in right. talking it's a about- It's sort of liminal space where I have right. no accountability. Exactly. Like, I won't talk to my friends about things, but I'll talk to this, like, stranger because- and So, we end up having these conversations sometimes about life and the universe and religion and all that stuff. And uh, really interesting how many people go, yeah, I know, but, you know, in my heart, and they'll tap their chest, you know, I mean, I, I just, I feel like I'm- you know, in a good place with God. And then then they'll tell you how all the like, basically debauched their life is, but it's okay because in my heart, I'm in a good place with God and I think I'm deep down inside a good person and that's really what matters. And so th that is this, what we were talking about. And this is where I want to kind of bring it back to Catholicism because as you're talking earlier, when we go back in scripture, and this is, I think, an, an argument, a lot of Protestant evangelicalism that says that Catholicism is full of all this mumbo jumbo, all this rituals and liturgies and sacraments and vestments and oils and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what's interesting is this, if you go through scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, how often God works through things, right? You want to talk about that a little bit? Because it's throughout the scriptures where, you know, when when someone is healed, when God wants to do something, often there is a material component to it. Yeah. I mean, you see it most fully borne out in the life of Christ, of course, because this is God literally in human flesh. And so he's talking to people and touching people. But then how he heals, he he touches or they even just touch the the skirt of his garment or he makes a, he makes a paste. Right, out I was going to say there's, yeah. the, there's the famous where he spits and makes some mud and smears it in the the blind man's eyes and heals him. And then that happens with the apostles as well. Like even, I think it's even Peter's shadow um, yeah. is associated with with healing miracles. But we can go back to the Old Testament. We can see all, all the works of Moses well, and the staff. And or the, this or and I that. think I think it's the bones of Elijah where you have a, yeah. a dead man thrown into a cave where it happens that the bones of Elijah had been interred and he's raised from the dead. God God works this miracle name, through. Naaman the leper, mm -hmm. right? The you waters know, of the Jordan. Got to yeah. go down to the waters of Jordan, right? The the waters of the Jordan when... Joshua? Yeah. The waters of the Jordan when Joshua enters the land, right? And they march the ark into the center of the Jordan and it stops up the waters so that people can pass mm -hmm. through, right? On and on and on, there's or, this yeah. sense of... Or, or the Israelites, I mean, they have the ark of the covenant, which God uses to manifest his presence and they have the the cloud in in the day and the pillar of fire by night one of the ones that i like to think of particularly with respect to the eucharist is on the road to emmaus right after the after the crucifixion and the resurrection the disciples that are on the road to emmaus encounter jesus and they don't recognize him at first until they get to this inn and then he breaks the bread Right. It's, it's it's really a Catholic story, or I think it reveals the fact that the Catholic understanding of Christianity is, is the authentic one, because I think if the story was written by Protestants, 
Jesus would have preached this long sermon and at the end his disciples would have been like, oh, it's you. We recognize from the sermon. Right. But but that's not how it goes. He preaches the sermon and of course that's good and important and they gain a lot of knowledge and understanding of, of God through that. But then he goes and he sits down with them and he breaks the bread. Or he would have picked them up and carried them and they could look at the footprints coming down the road. <laughs> well, I don't know if that's Protestantism <laughs> or just like chicken noodle soup for the soul stuff. Right. But, but yeah, <laughs> you're right. I mean, it becomes, and it is through the breaking of the bread in his hands and, and the having of a meal on the fellowship meals, mm-hmm. all these kinds of things. So it comes back to God because we are creatures mm-hmm. as a part of the creation and we are creatures that are created in his image and he is fully God and fully man incarnated into it. And so we meet him in his creation. And so that's where we talk about funerals, but also food and families and sex, all of these things in Catholicism that are intricately linked. Why does Catholicism care so much, contemporary people say, about who has sex with who? Right. They would say, it doesn't matter. It's it's no business of yours. No business of yours, what goes on in the bedroom. No business of who has sex with who or what that's all about. You go, yeah, yeah. But what we do with our bodies matters. What we eat and drink matters because of the Eucharist. How we, whether we kneel or don't kneel, how we pray, how we live our lives within families, how children are born. And, and when their parents pass away or their grandparents pass away, how we treat the dead. All of these things are part of living the full experience of being creatures made in God's image, enjoying and and, and being stewards of his creation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think when, and now to kind of bring a little bit of closure to it, when I look at it, I think sometimes that the causality of this in contemporary society goes both ways. So in other words, if you have a sort of devaluation of the body, right? That leads to a devaluation of families and funerals and sex and food and you know all that, right? Mm-hmm. But it also goes the other way, right? So from a doctrinal standpoint, once you decide that the creation in a sense isn't important and it's the feeling that I have in my heart towards Jesus, all of those things become secondary and second order concerns. And so there's some weird interaction that's going on here in contemporary society and it's crept into at least contemporary Christian culture, that basically the, the, the Christianity of 2,000 years in terms of how we treat the dead, how we treat funerals and all these things doesn't matter anymore. Right. Well, I think it also leads, maybe indirectly, but that it leads to a kind of individualization of it. Because if, if God created the physical universe and it matters and, and there are right ways and wrong ways to use our bodies, then the church has a say in that and and like there's a right way to bury the dead and a right way to have sex and get married and all of that if if it just kind of doesn't matter then it's sort of all entirely up to private judgment and i can do it my way i can have my funeral however i want i can have my marriage however i want i can marry whoever i want it's not necessarily limited by the gu- the guidelines of nature that right. are created by god now i i want to say that in pastoral ministry i will interject one thing here mm-hmm. and that is is that a lot of people become very concerned that funerals are expensive. Oh, yeah. So a lot of times for people, someone passes away and the family's like, man, it's 10 or 15 or $20,000 that we don't have. And I certainly understand oh, that. Yeah, and I've been, and I've been involved with families from a pastoral standpoint, but there are lower cost alternatives. And by the way, the Catholic church is, says that, that cremation is licit. 
The issue is what you do with the cremains. Right. And and that that's a change that's happened in the last couple of generations because it, it's not always the case that somebody who is cremating is doing it in order to make that statement about, no, 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 about no. the body not mattering. My or, issue yeah. is not, I want to be really clear on the Catholic right. Church's issue, is not cremation. It's what's done with the what are called the cremains or the right. remains afterwards. Well, yeah. All, all I mean to say is that for a long time that was forbidden by the church because there was a cultural assumption, at least yeah. in the West, that if you burned the body, that meant you were denying the hope of the resurrection right. of the dead. We understand today that's not usually what pe the statement people are making, at least not consciously. And so cremation can be done licitly, but as as you were just saying, it's a matter of so okay, so what are we doing with the with the cremains in order to make a statement of hope in order to act out our belief in the resurrection of the dead. Now, I want to say something, and I probably shouldn't have waited until the very end of this podcast to say it, right? Because <laughs> Hopefully, you're kind of you're going to drop a thing at the end. But look, I got to be really, really careful about saying this, because in my mind, what I'm about to say is not a doctrinal issue in any way, shape, or form. So whoever's listening, do not take this as a doctrinal or theological statement, more of a pastoral thing, right? Mm -hmm. Just from a pastoral human standpoint. A lot of times we look at, well, what are we going, how are we going to treat our beloved dead, right? And we'll look at a wedding and we'll say, well, it's going to cost $10,000 for the wedding or whatever. And a lot of times we'll go, but it isn't worth spending that on my dad, <laughs> right? Because he's dead and he's not going to enjoy it or it doesn't matter, right? And why don't we spend them? He would have wanted us to take the $10,000 and I'll go on a vacation or remodel our kitchen. Dad would have wanted that. And I, and I just, again, this isn't a doctrinal statement. It's not a theological statement. It's just pastorally. I, one of the choices we have in life is to live out our faith and to express our, our faith and especially to be countercultural, right, within our civilization. The early Christians were countercultural. Going down to the catacombs and treating their dead the way they did was a countercultural statement against the Romans in, in many ways. And so the thing is, is that I'm not saying what you should do or what you shouldn't do, but I think we should be a lot more deliberate about the things that we do, why we do them, and especially around death, because that is our chance in a sense to witness or testify to the central claim of Christianity that Christ has risen from the dead. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that without the resurrection of the dead, if Christ is not raised and we are not raised with him, that our faith is useless and pointless and we may not even bother with it. So this is a central thing to who we are, and it's why churches have always had graveyards in the, around them. The, the burial of the dead and the testimony about the resurrection is central to the gospel. And so I just, I think that we should all, I'm not telling anybody what to do, but I think we should all be pretty deliberate about how we treat these issues because it really is an opportunity to sort of testify and in a sense to to share and preach the gospel through our actions. Yeah, I think that's right. And I, and I think you're you're definitely right in saying like we should be deliberate and and careful and and do things like funerals in a in a deliberate way, in a meaningful way and in a special way similar to how we do weddings, but you were mentioning cost there before. It's become commonplace in our society to to delay or even just to to delay into oblivion marriage because of perceived financial cost, or as you were saying, not do a Christian funeral because of cost. And yes, we ought to make these things special, but that doesn't mean they have to break the bank. Like you can do these things in a simpler way 
that is fully Christian, fully Catholic. You can you can have your wedding and not go bankrupt. You can have your dad's funeral and not go bankrupt and still do it in a meaningful way. And so I think it's a matter of being deliberate in the sense of making it making it significant and meaningful, but also deliberate in the sense of we can we can do it right without doing it extravagantly. Yeah, absolutely. And there are a few things in life that we can do that will distinguish and differentiate us from the world around us Mm -hmm. that are more obvious and significant than the way that the Christians treat our dead. Right. And and that's for a witness to to the world, of course, but it's also a matter that if I don't act out my belief, my belief withers and dies away. That's part of the, the... one of the consequences, I would say, of, of the Catholic understanding of the body is that if I don't, with my actions, live out my belief, then my belief will ultimately fade away. It becomes meaningless. Well, amen. So, funerals, families, food, and sex, these are the things that God has given us to enjoy as creatures created in his image and likeness, to enjoy and experience the grace and goodness of his creation, and we should experience them fully and sacramentalize them in a sense and give them the full meaning and due that that they have. And as we look at all of these things going on around us in our culture, we look for those opportunities to put down our markers and make statements about what makes gives us hope and makes us different and how we try to be salt and light in this world and how we try to be the, the, the city on a hill and all those kinds of things that Jesus talks about in his parables. Yeah, absolutely. Amen. Well, thank you, Corey. Yep. Thanks, Greg. Thank you for listening. My name is Greg Smith. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, would you please hit the like and subscribe buttons wherever you get your podcasts and please share it with others. And if you're curious about the Catholic worldview and faith, the Church and its Saints, or Catholic history, culture, and art, then visit consideringcatholicism.com. And email me to let me know what you think. Greg at consideringcatholicism.com.